Good morning. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Central today, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're going to have some of the passage printed in the bulletin, but there's others that we're going to look at and study. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to 1 Samuel 25. If you need to use the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 248 of the Pew Bible in front of you. We've been studying this winter the life of King David and asking the question, what does the Lord do to give us a heart for God? What does he do in a disciple to kind of lay hold of us and and give us hearts that long for him? Last week, we saw David submit and surrender himself and his future to the Lord's care. He refused to take that shortcut, the temptation of the shortcut of taking his way at the throne by taking Saul's life. He submitted. We too are challenged to submit to the Lord's wise ways, even when they don't make a whole lot of sense to us in the moment. Very next chapter, David forgot that lesson. He and his men had been protecting these desert sheep of a herder named Nabal. It was customary for an army looking for something to do to to protect the livestock of the nation, but Nabal forgot that custom and he forgot his manners. Rather than thanking David and his men and offering them food in compensation, Nabal insulted them, deeply insulted them, and it didn't go well. David's anger was fueled, and he flew off the handle and threatened to kill every male in Nabal's family. Until Abigail, his wife, stepped in to help David remember who he is. He was the son of the king of heaven. This man who modeled submission and restraint in chapter 24 had to be restrained in chapter 25. He's a man of contradictions, just like you and me. Two steps forward, two steps back, sometimes two steps forward, three steps back. Do you ever need someone to step in and keep you from a disastrous anger, a destructive anger? It was Abigail in her meekness that the Lord used for that purpose. Meekness is a tool that the Lord uses to lay hold of our hearts and give us hearts for God. Let's pray as we ask the Lord to help us understand his word. Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and help us to see Jesus. Lord, may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We desperately need to know Christ this morning. Open our eyes and our hearts to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel 25, beginning in verse 28. This is Abigail speaking. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollows of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Down in verse 25. He said to her, get up, go in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Have you ever lost it? I mean like losing your temper and pitching a fit so bad it's just terribly embarrassing. Have you ever lost it like that? Maybe the better question is how recently have you lost it like that? May have even been this way uh, this morning on the way to church. Seems like on the way to church is a prime occasion for anger in so many of our families, so many of our lives. Anger looks different in different people though, doesn't it? Some people, anger comes out as yelling and screaming. And other people, anger uh, is perhaps more like the silent treatment, given the cold shoulder. And still among others, anger comes out as gossip, trying to tear someone else down. Or, or it may be that your anger is turned inward, feeling ashamed, and you hate yourself. Have you ever or have you recently been so angry that you're embarrassed? And you suggest, you know, that it's just not like me. This text is given to us today as a bit of a mirror so that we see ourselves in David and we have to recognize that, yes, it is like me to lose my temper. It is like me, more than I care to admit, it is like me to be caught in anger. The question of our text is, how does God rescue us? What does God do to rescue angry people like us? In the last chapter, we saw the Lord rescue David from Saul in an amazing way. And now the Lord has to rescue David from David. He has to rescue clay from clay. He has to rescue you from you. And so often that rescue of the Lord comes through meekness in another person. As we start our study of this text, I want us to think about David and his anger. Where did it come from? Well, verse 2, we're introduced to this new character in the story, and his name is Nabal. He's, He's a wealthy sheep herder, and what you may not know is that Nabal in Hebrew means fool. How about that? Your parents name you fool. But this is not like name calling. This is a guy whose name matches his character. In the Bible, a fool is someone who knows better, but they head off into sin anyway. That's Nabal. And he's described in verse 3 as harsh, and he's, he's badly behaved, and everybody sees it. Everybody knows that he behaves as a fool, and he's contrast with his beautiful and wise wife, Abigail, as this episode is going to bear out. Nabal, this sheep herder, had enjoyed the protection of David's army and his flock, verse 4, and it was common in those days. That's what a shepherd king does. He protects the flock. This was common, and also what was common is for food and wool to be offered as payment for armies that do things like this, especially at this time of the year. It was shearing season. It's a celebratory season. It's a feast season. And so David sent 10 of his soldiers to go visit Nabal to say, will you offer us food for having protected your property, Nabal? And then down in verse 10, Nabal's answer was not only no, but who does David think he is, he says. Is he not the son of Jesse? Is this not the eighth son, the runt we talked about a few weeks ago? You all are just a bunch of runaway slaves, he says. 
You see, Nabal was on the side of King Saul. And he thought all of David's men were just running from their master, the true king, Saul. And he asked, shall I give my bread and my water and my meat to runaways like you? Wow. I think Nabal was away when his father taught lessons on gratitude. It was, this was incredibly rude. How do you respond to that kind of disrespect? What do you do? Well, if you ask my kids... What makes me the angriest, the fastest, it's this. It's disrespect. What do you do in the face of something like that? Well, in David's mind, there's only thing to do, and that's the sword. In verse 13, he talks about his sword three times. He gets a flash of anger so much, it goes straight to violence, that he's going to use his sword to solve this problem with this fool, Nabal. But really, who had become the fool? If you read it through from chapter 24, David was restrained from using his sword to stop a war with King Saul. And now he's about to start a war with his sword for a slight of ungratefulness. How petty. David was taking on the, the posture of a fool. He was going to kill every man in Nabal's family, he says in verse 22. David needed someone to step in and rescue David from David. His anger was out of control. There are some occasions where anger is justified, where anger is righteous. For example, God speaks of his anger toward injustice and abuse and oppression. There's lots of that in our world, and sometimes our anger mirrors God's, and it's, it's justified. It's a righteous anger. But other times our anger really isn't justified nor righteous. Maybe we could say most often our anger is not. Sometimes we protest. Jesus got angry. Sure he did. Jesus got angry and, and he overturned the temple, uh, the tables in the temple. But as Paul Tripp likes to say, why is it more attractive to us to imagine that we're Jesus with the whip in the temple than it is to follow Jesus in the self-sacrificing love of the cross? Why is it so easy for us to jump to that justification when Jesus' life patterned for us self-sacrificing love it even took him to a cross. Have you ever felt the flash of anger toward a boss who accused you of not doing what you should do and it just erupts? Or a spouse that didn't care for you as you expected to be cared for? Or someone who disrupted something really important like your sense of personal peace? Or they're stepping on your comfort. Does that not make us angry so quickly? How do we know? What are ways that we can tell if our anger is righteous or unrighteous? So how do we know if our anger is justified? Well, here's some, some things in our text that help us to make a, uh, a discernment here. One, one way we know is when our anger is out of proportion. Would anybody reasonably think that, that David should murder every male in Nabal's family because he had been disrespected? Because he was embarrassed in front of his soldiers? When our anger is so out of proportion to an offense, let that be a warning that our anger is filled up with sin. Also, we see it when our anger is given with a desire to hurt. David wanted to kill all of them. When our anger lashes out for an opportunity to hurt or harm, it's probably pretty sinful. And that harm doesn't even have to be physical. 
Sometimes we lash out to emotional harm as well. We use cutting, biting words to attack each other. We attack one another in a place where we know there's vulnerability. Sometimes we use the cold shoulder. We use the silent treatment. That's really a response of anger. I'm wanting to hurt you by not giving you the gift of relationship. When our anger is filled with a desire to hurt, we know it's sinful. And third, when our anger comes from an unrighteous source, we know it's sinful. What lay as the source of David's anger here? It was really his pride. Nabal provoked David in front of his men. He embarrassed him. He rebuffed him as, a, as a, an escaped slave. And that enraged David to respond with an unholy quest for vengeance. I'll show him, David thought. When we feel that kind of anger begin to rise up within our soul, it's always a good idea to stop and try to track down the source. To ask the question, why am I so angry? What's the source? What's the heart thing going on within me about this anger? And one source of anger that catches all of us is when we get a case of the shoulds. You know about the shoulds? When we look at the world, you should do this, you should do that, that other person should do the other thing, and all of you should. I should. Whenever we get those cases of the shoulds, it's an on-ramp to anger in our souls. Of course, David felt pressured. He had 600 men in the desert, and they were hungry. And they could have taken Nabal's property, but they didn't. They waited. They went and asked for it. And Nabal should have offered it. He should have respected David's authority. When we feel like we're owed something, something should be given to us, and it isn't, the easy button is anger. The easy button is escalation. He's not giving me what I'm owed. He's not respecting me like he should. I'll show him. You know that pathway toward anger in your own heart and life? How about when we feel like our teenagers aren't doing what they should do? what we want them to do, how quickly do we become angry parents? Or when you see something in yourself that you really don't like and you think, I should be better than this. I should be able to say no to this thing and you can't and the the anger begins to be turned within and you're filled up with shame. It's really anger turned in on yourself. Or when you are trying to please someone that you should be able to please and and you try really, really hard and you just can't ever manage to, to make them happy. You just can't ever do it. And the rage begins to bubble up and you think, I give up. Anger, the should, devolves into deep anger so quickly. Or maybe that's not the source of some of your anger. Maybe the source is when idols get toppled. Whenever something that we believe makes our life count, something that makes our life matter, something that sets us apart as significant, whenever one of those things is taken away, we get angry and really fast. Whether it's respect is taken away like it was taken away from David here or our own sense of personal peace When somebody steps on our comforts, something that's really important in our lives, when it's threatened, anger flashes in our lives. Maybe it's something like a reputation. And you get really angry when someone criticizes you. 
Whenever we get angry, we're always wise to step back and ask, why? Why am I so upset? Why am I angry in the moment? Because anger is nothing more than a a dashboard light in our souls. You know, on your car, when you're driving down the road and the check engine oil, uh, check engine light begins to flash, what do you know? Something's wrong. Something's off. When the temperature gauge starts to flash, you know, oh, something really bad is going on here. The oil light, all of those things tell us, the lights tell us that there's something wrong in the engine. Our anger tells us that there's something wrong in my soul, something deeply wrong in my soul. So when that dashboard light of anger begins to flash in your life, what does God do? The Lord sends help. Praise be to the Lord that he, in order to save David from David, he sent a woman of strength and character, Abigail, to call him back to faithfulness. And it was Abigail's meekness that the Lord used to call, Abigail, call David back. What an incredible blessing when the Lord keeps us from sin. And he often does that with our anger. He keeps us from sin by sending someone strong and meek to save us from ourselves. We see in verse 3 that Nabal's wife, Abigail, was as wise and discerning as Nabal was foolish. A servant saw all of this happening with Nabal and David's army, and the servant ran to tell Abigail, and Abigail went to intervene with David. It says in verse 23 that Abigail bowed when she approached David. She approached him in meekness. How brave! How brave of her to approach this angry man and boldly tell him the truth, to boldly tell him like it truly was. That's her speech in verses 24 to 30. We can summarize it like this. My husband, the fool, did an awful thing. Please forgive it. And yet, would you restrain your anger because you are better than this evil you intend for my family? Telling him the truth. Coming into the face of this man and humbly and meekly telling him the truth. Now, maybe when you hear me talk about meekness, you're confused because in our culture, meekness is sometimes confused with weakness. Sometimes we think of meekness as timidity, but that's not the way the Bible talks about meekness. Really, meekness is when our strength is turned outward, when our strengths are turned away from self, when our strengths are turned out and used to benefit somebody else, not necessarily benefiting me. That's what the Bible calls meekness. And here Abigail's meekness was used by God to call David back to faithfulness. How? How was meekness used to rescue the heart of this angry man? Well, first Abigail showed him that David, your strength is in God's promises. Your strength doesn't come from your bluster. Strength isn't found in all the threats. Strength is located in God's promises. Here's the truth that you find all over the Bible. Whoever you believe that you are will determine how you live your life. Whoever you believe you are will determine how you live your life. And Abigail was sent to David to remind him who he is. In verse 28 and verse 30, she's there to remind him, you're the king. You're God's anointed king. You're God's man to lead his people. You are the prince of Israel. God's promised all these things for you. Don't forget who you are, David. You're the king. And then she says in verse 29, that you shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. 
She's talking about a custom that they had that that people would pack up the valuable things in 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 a satchel and the most valuable thing was carried over their heart. What she's saying to David is, David, you realize that you are carried close to God's heart. That's who you are. You are are the king. You're God's anointed one. And David, don't forget, you are a son of the king. You're a child of heaven. You're a child of the king. You're a child of the promise. David, when you're so angry, remember who you are. On this terrible day, on this, this day when evil is consuming your heart, David, remember that you are a child of God. Remember even on your worst day, David, you are desperately loved and you are carried close to the heart of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Strength is found in the promise. It's not found in bluster. It's not found in threats. Abigail was the spirit of God's tool to reopen David's eyes that were blinded by a thirst for vengeance. To remind him that you're a child of the promise. And this is how she put it to work. She said, since you're a child of the promise, David, let that determine how you live your life. Since you're a child of the promise, David, live your life as a son of the king and don't let some fool's insults harm you. Boy, don't we need to hear that too? Let who you are, you are a child of the king, you're a child of the promise, let that determine how you live your life, not some insults of fools getting goads into your life and pricking you into response. Don't we need to remember that, especially when we log onto our social media accounts? That we're children of the promise. Someone accuses us, someone threatens us, someone blusters, someone insults us. We don't have to return insult with insult, reviled with revile. Why? Because we're children of the king. We're children of the high king of heaven. In her meekness, Abigail reminded David, she reminds us that who we are, who we believe ourselves to be is going to determine how you live your life. Don't ever forget you're a child of the king. Second, she says in verse 31, her meekness appealed to his conscience. My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause. She's saying, David, you don't want blood on your hands as you're starting a new reign in the kingdom, do you? David, are you sure that's who you want to be? That you're you're, going to be the king that killed every male in the house of a sheep herder? Really? You don't want to start your reign that way. You aren't going to be counted strong because of your threats. You aren't going to be counted strong because you've shed blood. Your strength comes from who you know yourself to be. You're a king. You're a child of the king. Maybe that's a temptation in our lives too. We want to be seen as right in the eyes of the people around us. Vengeance would have been praised in his day. Maybe vengeance is praised in our day too. It was easy to go for that vengeance button. But listen to me. It is far better to be holy before the Lord than it is to appear right in the eyes of men. It's far more important for us to be holy before the Lord than it is to appear right in the eyes of bloodthirsty men and women. Friends, whenever... Being right in front of other people is more important than our sense of holiness before the Lord. We need an intervention. And the Lord sent that intervention through Abigail. 
He sent Abigail to rescue David from David to intervene into this place where he was taking steps down the pathway toward evil. We desperately need more leaders like Abigail in our lives, in our world, in our church. And David, in verse 35, listened. It's amazing. David the king obeyed Abigail. To whom do you listen? Whom are you willing to listen and hear the voice of a fellow believer try to walk you back from following in the footsteps of anger and sin to call you back to holiness? Who is it that you can hear their voice? I've said before that Christ's likeness, maturity in Christ is a team sport. We need each other. <laughs> if we're going to step back from our anger, if we're going to step back from our idolatry, we need Abigails. And yet this kind of love can be really difficult to receive. Sometimes when an agent of the Lord steps into our lives, we want to punch him in the nose rather than listen to him, right? We need a better Abigail. We need a better Abigail to speak to our hard hearts. And ultimately, who Abigail points us to is the perfectly meek Lord Jesus who has entered into your heart, enters into your life, and saves you from yourself. That's what Jesus has come to do, to save us from our sin, to save us from the devil, to save us from the world, and save us from our own flesh. As Philippians 2 says, Jesus took the form of a servant. He stepped off the throne in heaven and entered this broken down world in the form of a servant in poverty, entering this world not just to tell us the truth about ourselves, which we needed to hear, but he also in grace has given his life in exchange for ours so that we might be saved, so that we might be changed, that we might be different, so that we can live as the citizens of heaven in the face of a broken world. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to rescue us from ourselves. He came to rescue us from our judgment that we are, 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 have earned. By his work on the cross, he's rescued us from the judgment that we deserve so that by faith in his righteousness, he gives us his life. Look, Jesus knows us exactly how we are. He sees into our hearts. He knows us as we are, and he loves us. And this is what he knows about us. We can't rescue ourselves. We can't change our own hearts. We're going to remain in the trap of anger and sin until Jesus alone uses his power of his blood to free us. He alone sees the depth of our hearts, and yet he, not, he doesn't move away from us when he sees our sin in his meekness and in his love. He steps toward us. Jesus uses his strength for us. He uses his resurrection power, his life, his forgiveness, his blood. He uses it all for us. So the Apostle Paul puts it this way. God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so you don't have to hide anymore. Maybe you're an angry person. Deep down within, you're angry with the world. Maybe you're angry with someone in your life. Maybe you're angry at your circumstances. You don't have to hide it anymore, but rather confess it and expose it before the Lord and receive his cleansing forgiveness that he's promised that he won for you on the cross. But here's the thing. I've really lost it before and I'm probably gonna do it again, maybe soon. And so will you. Anger is, is sometimes to, to be thought of like a sitting on the top of a beach ball, 
when you're in the ocean and the waves are coming in. These big waves come and they're going to punch that ball out from under you. You can't sit on a beach ball in the water forever, right? It's going to come out. You don't know what direction it's going to come out. It's the same with our anger. Anger in our hearts are going to, it's going to pop out and we don't know which direction it's going to go or whom it might hurt. The question is, will we repent? When it pops out, will we hear the gentle call to turn back to Jesus for forgiveness and for grace and for change? We, and then will we turn to the one we've harmed and ask for forgiveness? It's not a secret that we live in a world consumed with outrage. It's everywhere. Outrage and anger is, seems to be what the world is, is the fuel for our world sometimes. It's, it's not a shock in our world. It's not a surprise in this world for people to see you and me get angry. That's what everybody does. The gospel surprise, the gospel shock is when somebody actually repents when somebody gets angry and owns it and the Lord enables us to turn away from that anger and turn toward gentleness, that's the manifestation of the life of a child of God. Someone who knows they're a son or daughter of the king, the king, can turn away from our anger, turn away from all those sources of our pride and, and our idols and the shoulds in this life. We turn away from it and turn toward the gentle Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus can actually cleanse you and change you? Do you believe it's true? Because it is true. The meek Savior entered this world to use all of his strength so that you might be saved and you might be different. And we as the body of Christ would show the world what citizens of heaven look like as we turn away from our sin and to him. Let's pray. Lord, every one of us are caught, have been caught in the trap of one sin or another and boy, the sin of anger seems so common. And so Father, I pray that you would help us to know our own hearts. Help us to be able to determine, to have discernment when our Anger is sinful versus when it's righteous or justified. Help us to not hide it, but help us to confess our anger, knowing that you are the one who can change, you can forgive, you can make us different. Lord, we ask that you would use us in one another's lives. Would we be instruments of meekness in the lives of one another, that the world would see that the body of Christ is a place where citizens of heaven love one another we serve one another and use our strengths to benefit one another. Make central more and more a place like that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.